Good morning. Thank you guys very much. I'd love for you to open up now into the New Testament, into uh, the New Testament letter of Paul. Title of it is Philippians. Uh, Just by way of context, we're just going to spend the next three, four weeks um, talking about prayer. And uh, I'll give you a reason why here in a little bit. Uh, But uh, for four weeks, we're going to look at prayer. And then during the season of Advent, we're going to look at those early chapters in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, to prepare our hearts to remember Christ's birth. Uh, But for the next four weeks, we're going to discuss prayer. As we begin, I want to know if you're familiar with the story in Greek mythology of the Minotaur. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the Minotaur is a uh, beast that is both half man and half bull. And what happens in this story is that the Cretan king, the king of Crete, Minos, he imprisons the Minotaur in this underground labyrinth. Uh, And every nine years, every nine years, Athens has to pay tribute to Crete by sending 14 souls to die, to be eaten by the Minotaur. Seven boys and seven girls, they are thrown into this maze to to eventually die. Uh, Can you imagine the, the sense of danger and darkness and the fear that they felt as they had to navigate around every single corner in that maze. I just want you to compare that story to how you feel when you have to make somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 decisions in a single week. Now, some choices are silly. Like, did you decide this morning if you were going to wear khakis, jeans, or shorts to church? Uh, and yet there are other like choices that it feels like if you go around this corner in the wrong way, there's some monster that's going to eat you for supper. Because it's so easy to drown in the sea of choices we have to make. Here are some choices you maybe had to make in this past week. Uh, will you clean your room or skip out on all chores? Should you buy the $40 shoes or the $140 shoes? Do you reply to that angry text or just let it go? Do you get a subscription to Netflix or Peacock or Amazon Prime or etc.? <laughs> Will you lie to cover up the real reason that you skipped work last week? Will your kid be on the traveling team, the rec team, or no team during this season? Will you host Christmas? Will you go to your in-laws or will you go to your family? Will you stay at this church, go to another church, or no church at all? Should you call the divorce lawyer this week? Should you bail out your kid again from jail? This, the amount of choices we have to make is absolutely paralyzing. And this first sermon, talking on prayer, is how we learn to pray to make excellent choices. The right choice. So I hope you found your way to Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. You know, three weeks ago, uh, just a godly man in this church pulled me aside and said something to the effect, I'm not sure I'm praying correctly. How do I learn to pray? That's such a wonderful question. It's just such humility, desire. Um, 
By no stretch of the imagination am I an expert on prayer. Uh, but I am a student of prayer. And uh, you're students of prayer. If, I would encourage you, if there's things that you've learned of prayer, if there's quotes about prayer, if there's practices about prayer that have really ministered to you, I'd love for you to send me emails or texts. We can, maybe I'll try to collate them and send them out in some of our weekly emails to the church. Uh, but today I want to share something with my fellow students, that uh, things I'm learning about prayer. Uh, to begin, I just want to share a 19th century uh, uh, pastor's thoughts on prayer. This man is named Robert Murray McShane. And this is what he had to say about prayer. He says, What a man is, alone on his knees before God, that he is, and no more. What a man is, alone on his knees before God, that he is, and no more. What I think Robert Murray McShane is saying is that prayer has a way of stripping us of all of our false selves. When, when I go out in public this week, I can put on all sorts of false selves about who Matt Proctor is and what he looks like and what he knows and what he doesn't know. But when I come before God in prayer, he knows everything about me. When I pray, I pray as anxious Matt, proud Matt, ignorant Matt, not so Christian Matt, and God knows. And so I think that's some ways the reason why we're very intimidated to go to God in prayer. Because all the facades fall off, all the false selves shrivel and die. And I just want to encourage us, though, to press on. For some of you, prayer is going to feel like a first date. First dates are always awkward. You trip over your words. You don't know what to say. But one of the greatest instructions I, I've picked up just in the last few weeks is what the Puritans taught people about prayer. And they said, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. That's a very simple little truth, but I have found that sometimes I go to pray and it, it feels awkward. Like, I do this for a living, right? You know, but as you pray and you keep praying, as you, like, there's that moment where, like, God meets you. It's almost like sometimes prayer is like when you're trying to find a, a weak radio station and you're, you keep kind of turning the tuner to find, like, it kind of comes through. In some ways, that's how prayer is. You're there in faith, you're talking to God, and all of a sudden, something breaks through. So let's talk about prayer. I'm going to start by praying, then I'll read our text, and we'll dive into specifically how to pray to make excellent choices. Father in heaven, we need your help. We need your help to understand the Bible. We need our help to understand our lives. We need our help to make the next best decision. We need your help to make a series of little decisions this week. And I have a feeling that there's people in this body that have really big decisions weighing on them that have to be decided this week or this month. And so we need your help. We really do want to hear from you. We want to be guided by your word. We want to be led by your spirit. We want to be encouraged and shaped by even the encouragement of brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, grant wisdom. Give us a, a mind that would honor you to make excellent choices. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. So those of you don't familiar with this, uh, this book. It was probably written around 60 or so A.D. 
Uh, Paul is actually imprisoned at the moment. He writes a series of letters uh, in, in his time in a Roman prison. One of them is Philippians. Uh, this is a church he hap, hap, helped establish. He actually was able to lead a woman named Lydia to Christ at this church, a, a jailer, and then a, a, a fortune teller occultist. That was the early uh, group of people that started the church in Philippi. And now he writes to them about 10 years later. He, and there's joy and there's thanksgiving. And in the middle of the joy and the thanksgiving, he stops in the middle of the letter and he prays. And here's that prayer. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, the heart of Paul's prayer is in verse 10. It says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Uh, Some of your English translations might might speak to this, being able to approve what is excellent. Paul is praying that excellent decisions would mark the ways of this young Christian church. Uh, And so I want to let Paul help us answer a few questions from this text. What is needed for excellent decisions? What do we need in order to make excellent decisions, to approve what is right and best? Why do these decisions matter? And then again at the end, how do you pursue them? How do you pursue making excellent decisions? So question number one, what is needed for excellent decisions? And Paul gives the answer in that opening prayer. He says, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So here's a fact that you've maybe never considered. Here's here's the fact. In any given moment, we always act in accordance with what we love most. I'll say that fact again. In any given moment, we always act in accordance with what we love most. Let me say it differently. You always do what you really want to do. You always do what you really want to do. So this morning, you had the choice to eat a donut or spend 30 minutes on the treadmill. And I can tell you, you did what you wanted to do. (laughs) What we love always drives what we do. So some people love fishing more than their family, and so it seems logical to skip family vacation for the bass fishing tournament. Some people love their family more than work, so it seems logical to put work aside and go on a family vacation. Some people love alcohol more than their family. Some people love uh, some sort of name recognition. Some people love their mistress more than their wife. Some people love Instagram more than their kids. What we love always drives what we do. And this is why out of the gate, when Paul prays, he prays that these Christians would be filled for a godly love for the right things. That they would have God's perspective, God's values, God's passions. 
Now, as much as people talk about love, you would think this would be the most understood subject in the world. The, the reality is, is we've got love all sort of screwed up. And so I want to just go to one passage in the New Testament, maybe as clear as any passage about what love is, uh, to get some assistance. So turn with me to 1 John 4. For those of you who want homework this week, you could, turn to, you could also study 1 Corinthians 13 to learn about love. Uh, but we're going to look at 1 John 4. Uh, all of 7 through 21 is a very long, extensive treatment on love. But I'm just going to focus on verses 7 through 10. Paul is praying that our love would abound with knowledge and depth of insight. So what is love? What, how does God define love? What do we need to know about love in order to make excellent decisions? Paul, oh, this, is, this is the Apostle John, and he says this in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's leave these verses up on the wall for a bit. Um, What is love? Uh, Just catch this. Verse 10 is huge. These are, you know, one of these verses worth memorizing. Verse 10 is so huge. It's the starting point of the Christian life. Uh, So if you're a non-Christian person and you're trying to understand Christianity, this is the heart of what Christians preach, what we call the good news or the gospel. And the first thing you need to know about love is that God loved humans, but they did not love him. How do I know that? Well, besides that the Bible says so. Go back to the universal principle. That is, we all, what we love always drives what we do. And what have you done? What have I done? You have lied. You have stolen. You have coveted. You have used God's name in vain. You have lusted, got drunk, slandered humans, and blown off, blown off worship of God, of God time and time again. And why did you do those things? Because you loved it. Why did I do those things? Because I loved it more than God. You didn't love God. You loved yourself. You loved pleasure and power. You did not love God. And John says, this is love. Not that you loved God, but that he loved you. And the way God shows his love, it says that he sends his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Some of your translations will say as a propitiation for our sins. We sang about propitiation in that song in Christ alone, right? That God's wrath, his, his punishment, the consequences of sin were put on his son. He dies in our place for our sin so that that sin can be and the judgment can be extinguished on the Son so that it doesn't have to fall on us. When Jesus rises from the dead, the Father is showing that he is pleased with the Son's sacrifice for people. And now everyone who trusts in the Son's death is spared death. This is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us 
He became an atoning sacrifice for sins. You've got a couple of things you just got to put your mind together with about love. Love is always a holy thing. Right? Love is always about uh, honoring God, right? Because we didn't honor God, He had to send His Son to, to love us in our place. He had to die for us. So love is always a holy thing. It's always a righteous thing. And at the same time, love, God demonstrates love, it's, it's compassion, it's forgiveness, it's giving life where it's not deserved. God loved us. God loved you. You have to get this if you're ever going to get love. This is the starting point. Many, many years ago, a man named John Calvin wrote this. He said, the whole life of man, until he is converted, is a ruinous labyrinth of wanderings. Right? We just wander in our way to sin and destruction and folly. But when we understand God's love and his salvation and we're made alive, we begin, we're moved out into something new. And that's what, Paul, excuse me, that's what John says here. So once we get this initial truth, that God loved those who didn't love him, and we actually become to believe it, uh, not just mentally assent to it, but believe it at the heart level. God loved me even though I did not love him. You get back to verse 7. Such ones are now born of God. To be born of God means that the Holy Spirit has taken this dead, damned sinner and made them alive to God as his child. Filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit means you're actually filled with the God who is love. And then you start it starts describing. Then love starts coming out. We begin to love others. We begin to love God in a way we've never loved Him before. This is love. We have to get this, and then we have to get more. That's Paul's prayer, right? We experience life with God. We experience salvation with God. We experience the love of God in Christ through the Spirit. And then Paul says, and pray for more and more of that. Over and over of that. Go back to Philippians chapter 1. I mean, as you go back there, I just want you to realize that growing as a Christian is often just growing in your understanding of God's love for you. I met with a seasoned pastor a few uh a few weeks ago, and I was asking him, you know, about leadership and different things. I was trying to get, like, super cool tricks to be a better pastor. And his super cool trick was, Matt, every morning I pray two prayers. I pray, God, help me to understand how much you really love me. And I pray that I would love other people with the love that you love me with. That was his super cool human trick. To understand the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is praying back into the hearts of the Philippians, that your love would abound more and more. Right? Again, this is not a silly love. This is not a sentimental love. This is a God-wrought, biblical, Jesus-like, God-loving, commandment-obeying, God-honoring, spirit-filled love. He wants that kind of love to increase, to explode, and then to overflow out of your life. So that you would love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love speaks about covenantal loyalty. Love speaks of utmost value. Love speaks of sacrificial responsibility. And this sort of love is what's supposed to shape our decisions. Back in the 5th century, St. Augustine, he actually described the human problem as disordered loves. We love the wrong things a lot. 
and the right things too little or not at all. Disordered love is like the stereotypical dad who loves catching smallmouth bass rather than seeing his son take his first steps. That's disordered love. And Paul prays that an appropriate ordered love would abound, would increase, to take center stage in our lives. Now look again back in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 1. Notice that Paul doesn't just pray for love. He prays for love shaped by knowledge and insight. Uh, a very a, a wise scholar still alive today is a man named Sinclair Ferguson. And I love his little, little line about love. He says, love is motivation, but it is not self-interpreting direction. Right? Is that, God doesn't leave us in the dark on how to love him. Uh, we have the Holy Scriptures primarily that teaches what love looks like. We have the, the commands and the precepts. We have the examples of godly men and women who have gone before us to direct our loving response to God. Uh, Paul uses these two words. He says that your love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge is both intellectual and experiential knowledge of God. That is gained through, yes, your personal study of God's word. It's gained through walking in obedience with God. Uh, Jesus says in John 14, 21, he says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he, she, is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me, obeys me, God, Jesus promises, I will come and reveal myself to you. So there are things about knowing God that we will never experience unless we obey God. Out of love. That's knowledge. Insight, it's actually used, this word for insight is used only a single time in the New Testament. Uh, It it refers to having like moral knowledge. It's like the 360 degree perspective on life you get when you read places like the Proverbs. Like that we need insight for every aspect of life. Uh, For those of you who don't have this as a practice, I highly commend to you read a proverb a day. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. There are 31 days in most months. Um, one of the things that you'll find about the Proverbs when you start reading it is it, they, they, it seems so random. It'll be this proverb about knowledge. Then there's something about gambling. And then there's something about how you treat your wife. And then there's something about money. And you're like, what in the world? You know why I think it's written that way? Because that's what our days are like. In the same day that you have to make a tough money decision, you're going to have to discipline your child. The same day a friend betrays you. And the same day you're going to get pushed into place, will you be honest in a tough situation? And as you read the book of Proverbs over and over and over again, you get this kind of depth of insight for the complexities of life. Any of you guys see The Matrix back in 1999? For those of you who missed it, Uh, basically these guys are trapped in some sort of computer. And what was really nice about that is for you to learn martial arts skills, you just had to sit still and they would download it into your brain. But that's not how life works. Boy, that would be sweet if I could just be a ninja like 30 seconds later. Man, I'd trip over my own two feet. And the same idea when you start talking about gaining moral insight and growing in love, it's it's a lifetime. 
It won't just come by a magic download, but it is something that God wants and God has demonstrated. We pray for this. That's what's going to be needed for excellent decisions. That is a, a heart filled, excuse me, a heart filled with love and a head filled with truth. That's what you're going to need. You are who you are physically today because of what you have eaten over the last few weeks and months. Every cell in your physical body is shaped by what you consume. In much the same way, our ability to make excellent decisions is shaped by what we feed our mind and our heart with. That's what, will, what is needed for excellent decisions. So what big decision do you have this week? Let me ask you, are you ready to make an excellent decision? Do you know what's best? Pray for a heart filled with love and a head filled with truth. But why? Why do these decisions even matter? I was, I was driving with one kid, I think it was this week or last week, preparing for this sermon. And I asked, I asked them, hey, what do you think it looks like to be a discerning person? And they said, Dad, what does discerning mean? <laughs> like, that, 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 that term discernment, or to be a discerning person, that's a lost art. In a culture that says that you can kind of believe whatever you want and do whatever you want, then why do you need discernment? Just go with your feelings. Trust your gut. By the way, have parent, do you, does any parent tell their six-year-old to do that? Just trust your gut. Why do we say it to our 16-year-olds or our 36-year-old self or our 56-year-old self? Why do these decisions matter? They do. And at the heart of Paul's prayer is a vision. He says this in verses 10 and 11. It's for daily excellence in light of the coming day of Christ to the glory of God the Father. That's why these decisions matter. Daily excellence in light of the coming day of Christ to the glory of God the Father. Verse 10 again and 11. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul's hold, holding kind of like two, uh, almost like two dates. Like you should always have two dates focused on your life. Today and the day of Christ. Jesus actually says, don't worry about the other days. Worry about today. Be concerned about today. And be concerned about the day of Christ. All the rest, the Lord will take care of. So about today. Today matters. They matter because you will offer something. You will offer something today. To yourself. To the people in your life. To the responsibilities that you're called to. You will offer something today. Paul prays that what you would offer is a life filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Um, Paul is using an agricultural picture to communicate a spiritual truth. That is, fruit, good fruit, will come from a plant with a, a good root system, branches, regular sun, and nutrients. Good fruit comes from good sources. Bad sources lead to bad fruit. 
Uh, some of you are familiar with when Jesus was, he used this same agricultural picture in John 15. John 15, 5. Another Bible verse worth memorizing. Uh, Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. Right? The person who abides in me, right? If you remain in him, if you're connected, if you're dwelling with God, says you will bear fruit. But then he, he gives the, the consequence, though. But apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. One of my mentors, um, he's preached here a few times, Larry Austin. One of the most sobering lines that he says and repeats, and so I've, I've come to like, I should listen to this guy. He says, Matt, there is a huge difference between productivity and fruitfulness. There's a huge difference between productivity and, useful, and, and fruitfulness. Uh, we live in a culture that's all about you know, produce more, do more, and get more done. But at the end of the day, you could have been extremely productive and not been fruitful. Right? So fruitfulness adds taste and flavor to life. It adds quality and substance to relationships. And so when Paul is saying about what matters for today, what is the excellent thing that you can bring today is a life of true character, Christ-like character. How different would your workplace be if you walked into work this week with the mind of, I want to serve people like Jesus serves people. I'm going to celebrate my coworkers' success as much as any success I experience. I am willing to slow down and even sacrifice my bottom line to make sure that someone else thrives. That's fruitfulness. You might not get claps uh, from your manager. That wasn't very productive that month, right? But that's what it's talking about, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. If you're abiding in Christ, if you're walking with Christ, if he is uh, shaping your mind and your heart, what's going to come out is things of substance for the long term, something beautiful, fruitful, life-giving. We want to make excellent choices today to offer something fruitful today. But Paul also says, with, with the perspective of the coming day of Christ, um, couple of thoughts here. This, this, for some of you, this is a familiar phrase. For some of you, this is a new phrase. Uh, the day of Christ refers to the day when Jesus Christ returns in authority and power to, to, to judge the earth, as well as to see that the earth is, is renewed and renovated and restored and all the tears are wiped away. That's the day of Christ, and it is coming. Incidentally, this is one of the early, this shows that early Christianity believed that Jesus was God. Because if you pick up your Old Testament, it's always the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh, the day of Jehovah. And for Paul to say, keep your mind on the day of Christ. He's saying, he's the Lord God and he is coming. He will reward those who have been faithful. He will uh, hold, hold uh, people responsible and under judgment who did not believe in him or serve him. And Paul says, when he's praying for this excellent way of thinking and this excellent way of loving, he says, always remember that Jesus Christ is coming. Everything will be laid bare. Everything trivial will burn up. Everything of substance will shine even brighter. This is kind of shallow, 
but about 90 days before my wedding, I started working out a lot more. The haunting reality that someone was going to see me somewhat regularly with my clothes off made me live a little differently. The day of May 16th, 2003 was on the calendar and I lived differently because of it. In much the same way, the day of Christ is coming. We don't know the date. God knows the date. And whether we realize it or not, when that day comes, everything will be exposed. And so Paul says, live with that day in mind. Live with that day in mind. Because admittedly, we forget. Oh my goodness, we forget. We... (laughs) We know that a day is coming, but we're we're quick to waste hours on Twitter, football, pointless shopping. So, So how do we get this kind of love in us? Or how do we get the perspective to make an excellent choice consistently throughout our day? That leads me to this last question. How do we? How do we pursue excellent choices? How does this begin to shape our lives? What do you do to be a person that makes excellent choices? How will you help your, your, your kids or your friends or your church make excellent choices? And what does Paul demonstrate for us in this passage? We pray about it. What do you expect on a four-week sermon series on prayer? We pray about it. We pray that God would fill our hearts and our heads. We pray that we would be motivated by the daily opportunity to bear fruit and to honor the Lord Jesus when he comes. Two simple practices for this week. First one is for yourself. Second will be for others. First, I want to just offer you a little tool that I've used on and off over the years. I even used it this morning. About preparing, praying for your own heart to make excellent choices. And this, this tool comes from just two verses in Psalm 139. They're the last two verses of Psalm 139. The book of Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. If you want to learn how to pray, learn to pray the Psalms. One of those prayers reads this way. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So how this prayer works, you can leave it up here again. I commend this practice once a week, maybe more if you're in a really tough season. The idea is, though, that you you take out your Bible, you open up to this passage. You take a piece of paper or if you have a journal. And you read through these verses over and over, and you pray through them. Lord, may this actually happen. Search me, God. By the way, this is a good practice to do with your phone in another room, or at least off. Search me, God. If your phone's on, right when you say that prayer, a really important text is coming through. Search me, God. Look at my heart. I'm going to slow down. And then it says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is where you, on your journey, you start right. what are my anxious thoughts? When I try to slow down, what prevents me from slowing down? And write it all down. Some days it'll be five things. Some days it'll be 450 things. Lord, what's going on in my heart? I should have brought my journal with me. I wrote this, this, uh, this morning, I wrote about the check engine light on my van. Uh, the new tires that I need on my truck, 
uh, praying for our congregational meet. Like I just wrote down, what are the things that are, are just lingering on my chest and my heart? What, and what's, it, what's anxious? What, what am I worrying about? But then verse 24 moves you to the next level. See if there is an offensive way in me. Like what's going on in our life that's offensive? It's not according to God's word. It's not pleasing. It's not fruitful. It's not substantive. It doesn't bring glory and honor to God. After you spend some time listing those, maybe spend time praying for forgiveness, confessing that as sin. Selfishness, pride, anger, impatience, unkindness, ungentle, greed, sloth, gluttony, rage, wrath, right? And then I love that last prayer. And then lead me in the everlasting way. That's that fruitful, substantive, this is going to be gold now and gold at glory. Lead me in that way. That's the personal practice. The practice that you can do on behalf of others is just really simple. Pray Philippians 1, 9 through 11. For, this is what I'm going to encourage you. For one person for each day this week. Pray that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they may be able to discern what is best and that they may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ to the glory of God the Father. And so maybe on Monday you pray for your best friend that their love may abound with more and more with knowledge and depth of insight. On Tuesday you pray for your husband. On Wednesday you pray for your husband again. <laughs> Catch that? But you pray. Just pick someone out each week. If, if those of you have longer prayer lives, maybe you pray for 10 people a day. Pray as Paul has taught us to pray. Commit every day to pray for one person in your life who needs God's love and insight to make excellent decisions. As I close, consider this amazing promise in Psalm 32.8. This is an amazing promise. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Friends, God cares for you more than you care for yourself. Much like a mom who cares more about her daughter's character or a teacher fighting for that struggling student to take their studies seriously, God cares more about you than you care about yourself. And he will instruct you. Do you guys know what happens to the minotaur in in that labyrinth? Well, there's a warrior named Theseus who loved his fellow Athenians. And he says I, I, he volunteers to be one of the 14 to sacrifice his life. He hopes that he can go in there and kill the beast. But he has one problem. Even if he were successful to kill the beast, how will he get out of the maze? Thankfully, the princess of Crete falls in love with Theseus. And she gives him thread. And says, just unspool the thread as you go into the mace. Upon defeating the beast, follow the thread on the way out. (laughs) Friends, God loves you more than any uh, Greek mythological character. He's demonstrated his love in sending his son. He continues his love in the giving of the Holy Spirit in the words of Scripture. He provides the thread that will lead us to live excellent lives under the glory of God the Father. Believe in his goodness and pray for his guidance. Father, thank you for 
just an opportunity to look at this text and just pray that you would help us, Lord. I pray for my friends here today that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insights, that they would be able to approve what is excellent, that they would live pure lives, blameless, being prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus in the sky and all along the way to the glory of God the Father. Amen.